ahead of her, mine. Hey, look at that. She's not crazy. She's being chased by a cheetah. All right. Well, welcome back to Cinema Animals Nights, brought to you by the same team that earlier brought you Cinema Animals Regular. My name is Michael Lochran in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm joined here tonight to discuss the 1984 film Wild Beasts. Turn around. By Mikhail Britt in Los Angeles. I'm really digging your kind of calm uh, public radio delivery. Yep, it's in Animals Nights. That's what we do. And uh, Simon Barrett also in Los Angeles. Yeah, loving the coffee house vibe here. I think the <laughs> listeners are really digging this. <laughs> Ah, these newfangled cages. They always seem to get stuck. Wild Beasts um, takes place in a northern European city. That's where I wanted to start. <laughs> yeah, I... Um... <laughs> they go really... They go to great lengths to try to make it unspecified, except for then on the zoo, it clearly says uh, Frankfurt. Like, it's supposed to be Germany, and the cars are <laughs> mostly German. Um, but no one's even, certainly no one speaks German and no one even has a German accent. And nor was it filmed in Germany, which is interesting. Where was it filmed? I wondered that. So this is, Wild Beasts is the final film by an infamous director, uh, Franco Prosperi, who, uh, who did Mondo Kane with his filmmaking partner um, back in 1962. And they were kind of known for these Mondo documentaries and because of that, uh, among other things, I guess they would get kicked out of places where they tried to film. So Wild Beasts started filming in Zimbabwe, which at the time was called Rhodesia. Uh, a war there started, so they moved to South Africa, filming in Johannesburg, where people found out that they were the same people that had done Mondo Kane and Goodbye Uncle Tom. And they were basically kicked out of South Africa, and then they had to finish the movie in Rome. So Rome is mostly where Wild Beasts was shot. It must be rare that a movie is being shot somewhere where war breaks out and they have to relocate. Yeah, I would hope that it would be very rare. I would like to never experience that. Um, but yeah, there's a there's an interview with the director on the disc that I watched where he talks a lot about the, the making of the film and the challenges that they faced. Now, th this is a tricky movie. When it comes to reviewing animal cinema, of course, you're going to occasionally encounter films that are cruel to animals. And Wild Beasts was kind of a career ender for its director, I think specifically because people were so offended by the on-screen treatment of animals, um, which the, you know, the director and animal handler and a lot of people have gone to great lengths to say that, you know, a lot of that was faked, um, but obviously some of it wasn't. It's so, pretty audacious that they try to claim no animals were injured during the making of this film. And it does make it hard to have a uh, coherent opinion on the movie. Because on one hand, it's like this awesome, insane movie about zoo animals going berserk. And then on the other hand, it's also like there's lots of unpleasant animal exploitation. Uh, yeah. and, and cruelty. So it left me feeling a bit, uh, having some cognitive dissonance about 
Yeah. Can I truly enjoy? Am I wrong if I enjoy this movie? Am I a bad person if I enjoy totally. this movie? Totally, because for us, this is, for Cinnamonimals Nights, this is like the Avengers of our podcast, <laughs> where like every animal, like we've done lots of every- animal movies, <laughs> but we've never done, we've never done one with this many types of animals. You yeah, know, cheetahs, I'm really excited. <laughs> polar bears, horses, rats, um, regular bears, hyenas, hyenas, elephants, tigers. Did I say and, tigers? And 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 it, all in in like urban settings, in subways, in ballet schools. Yeah, in, yes. yes. I mean that's that's kind what? of the thing you get with this film is you'll <laughs> see things that you will never otherwise see. You will see a cheetah try to chase a car. You will see elephants on an airport runway. Uh, and these are things you should not see um, because the only way to kind of achieve them is is probably in, or invariably involves some level of cruelty and exploitation of the animals. But it is this is the conundrum. I wrote in my notes, uh, evil movie that shouldn't have been made, but since it was, hey, um, which maybe, right. uh, you know, is overall our feeling about this, which is like, this is a wild beast to me is a, definitely a morally kind of repugnant film but it also contains so many berserk uh great sequences that i have watched it now i guess three times even though there are parts of it that i avert my eyes from um, i will say that um so i'm having a difficult moment right now because hmm. simon sent us a text saying that no animals were hurt where he sent us a text saying people say no animals were injured during the making of the film. And so that's how I watched it. So I watched it and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe my good luck. This is an animal film with every kind of animal in it. And they all seem like they must've been killed or at least abused awfully, <laughs> but none of them were. So it's like, it's all good. Yeah, so I'm I delved, the Kool-Aid. What did what? <laughs> well, I delved deeper into that. So I mean, and the director did claim that in in an interview and and I think they downplayed it. Now, the I have now watched interviews with enough people involved in this film that I can say definitively which animals were and were not hurt in this film. Uh oh, great. certainly all do, do that. Yeah, should we do, do the do, injured not injured list? Should we dive yeah. into that right away? I mean, or do we just yeah. want to basically the quick summary of Wild Beasts would be that this yes, is a, do that, do a that. horror movie in which a zoo's animals go insane, break out of the zoo and begin terrorizing the populace of a northern European city. Well, why do they go insane? Yeah, why do they go insane? Simon? At the end of the film, it is revealed that they went insane because someone released PCP into the water supply, which is also uh, in a twist affecting children. I mean, so, the kids go insane too, yeah. And, and fortunately, this is one where that basically is the whole plot. Now, um, the animal, <laughs> now the injured, non-injured tally. Yeah. Uh, I, so uh, they definitely, everyone involved admits to killing some rats um including the director like if you watch the interview he's like well no animals got hurt uh well you know we did kill some rats we did take a flamethrower and just point it in the direction of a crowd of rats yeah yeah (laughs) yep so rats uh yes is Um, that bad are we mad about that guys yeah, world, we are. World. That's, that's, it's bad. Yeah, that's well, pretty. It, is, it that's, is. That's pretty unjustifiable. You, you passed. Know? Good. You passed the. T- that was a trick question. If you guys had said we were okay with it, I would have just ended this podcast right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not okay. Can I put? I'm going to push pause on the injured, not injured list just for a second to just stick with it. Yeah, so just for a we second. should talk about the rats. We as we go through the list, we maybe should yeah. describe each scene. That's as my well. thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So with with the rats, I'll do a quick synopsis of what the scene with the, the rats is, but then I do have one, it's kind of a philosophical question about rats. Um, the scene with the rats where they get the flamethrowers aimed at them uh, is when there's a, a young couple uh, making out in a car. I guess they're, for some reason they're parked near the zoo. I don't really know why, but they're like parked near the zoo. And the, the rats closer you up. are to a zoo, the hornier you feel. It's like a, that's like <laughs> right. a thing. Right. That's a basic premise of this podcast. Um, so they're, they're making out and all of a sudden they're surrounded by rats. There's rats under the car. There's rats on the car. They've uh, at one point they need more room to make out. So they open the door before they know the rats are there and the rats come into the car and the rats eventually kill the young couple, the, the horny couple um, in the car. And then later on uh, the, the, um, the heroes, I guess, the anti-heroes of the movie show up and they're going to kill the rats. They're going to light them on fire. But don't they also call like actual exterminators? Because it's early in the film. They do or something. They but call yeah. exterminators. And so my question was like, what's the most number of rats an exterminator is going to be willing to deal with? Because like a normal job on a rat call is not 2,000 rats. Uh. So there must be some moment at which the exterminator is like this is not it is not what i handle this is great because this is the new segment ask an exterminator and with me i i have an exterminator with me that we can no just kidding i wish i did (laughs) but that's a really wonderful question that we might never know the answer to if you called if you called an exterminator and there were a thousand rats in your bedroom do you think they would be like i can handle this and it'd be like, I have to bring in my colleagues. They'd be like, I'm going to, I have a direct line to the president of the United States. And I'm going to call him because this is crazy. <laughs> uh, do you have the, a thousand rats in your bedroom? What's going on? Like, yeah, that's, um, who do you call? Who's the higher level of crisis uh, intervention after an exterminator? Animal FEMA, control. I think we know this. FEMA, animal control. Yeah, I guess animal control. Yeah, animal control. But even them, they're not. And then they walk, and they walk in with a (laughs) flamethrower. Yeah, that is another question: is who has a flamethrower? In Italy, I guess everyone. um, They're ready to go with that. Like the director claimed that they used 500 rats for this sequence, uh, and then other people involved in the movie claimed it was up to 3,000. Yeah, it it is definitely an impressive quantity of rats. an interesting thing to me about this movie is that the movie gets pretty silly and enjoyable with the exception of like some later real animal violence that we'll get into. Um, but it's an unnerving film because all the stuff in its kind of first 20 minutes is, is all the most real and upsetting stuff. It kind of establishes the tone right away with an opening credit sequence showing a uh, split horses heads being fed, fed to giant, cats big cats so upsetting yeah um so right away you're seeing something that's obviously real and then they drug a tiger um and we uh, meet yeah we meet was our asshole hero yeah yeah um you guys i'm really sorry can we go back to the rats just for one second <laughs> uh, well I, the rats are after that the drug tiger but yeah well um i want to give you guys a chance to make up for something that really hurt me last week. I don't know if you remember. There was something about the how many cats it would take to kill you? No, it was about, I, I really thought you guys were going to ask me what, it's, what a group of cats is called. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I, I was wondering if you guys wanted to ask me a question about rats. Hey, hey, hey Mike, <laughs> what do you call a, a large group of rats? 
Oh, cool. Yeah, it's called a mischief of rats. Whoa. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's wonderful. <laughs> Do you know what a large group of elephants is called? No, but I've, can, I suspect you... it's, a, it's a herd. Yeah, that's what I think. I don't know. I heard that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go do a little research. All right. Yeah. You can do the research. And Simon, I'm sorry I interrupted about the rats thing. Well, no. I mean, it's just worth noting that we're introduced to the hero of this film, uh, Dr. Rip Burner. While they're like. His name is Rip Burner? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. That's that's what it says in the subtitles, anyway. Um, You know, while they're drugging a tiger, which goes into like convulsions, um, which, you know, is obviously like a real. Thing that they're really doing um and it's unsettling enough to watch which is obviously why they're doing it it's exploitive that it really you know from that point forward you have no idea if you know what the film is going to do or what rules it's going to break um and it's pretty unnerving uh including there's a very weird shot in the opening scene where we're introduced to laura's daughter susie who she's never in a scene with um they spend the entire movie apart we're introduced to susie who is a very young girl topless lying on a bed the camera zooms out as she like buttons her shirt and yeah. then like runs around the house yelling uh where the hell did she stash my ba 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 where the hell did you stash my ba 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 yeah that was that was very shocking um and i'm surprised that they have that on the amazon i'm surprised they have that jeff bezos is allowing that <sighs> I mean, it's 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 definitely pushing a weird line. I mean, and I guess that's what this director, uh, you know, Franco Prosperi. I mean, that was his entire career. I mean, whether you like his films or hate them, and you know, uh, Wild Beast was kind of the only uh, ostensibly fiction film that he made. Um, Goodbye, Uncle Tom was presented as if it were a documentary, but you know, Wild Beast is presented as like a horror narrative film. Everything else he did was ostensibly a documentary to one extent or another. But I mean, his whole kind of business was these exploitation documentaries, uh, a lot of which, you know, they would use real animal violence uh, for shock value. So it's it's impossible to believe anything these filmmakers <laughs> claim about like their good intentions or, you know, what animals were were not uh, murdered or traumatized, which obviously... Uh, does impact how much you can enjoy a, a crappy movie like this one but um the, the tiger convulsing was yeah it was really i was watching it and tiffany was in bed next to me not watching it doing something else and when that came on it was almost like the feeling of like if like a uh if you were like 12 and a sex scene comes on a movie and you're with your parents do you like, want to hide it in shame what you're yeah, watching yeah. <laughs> yeah kind of i'm really shocked that you watch this in bed with your wife I, well, I, I could only tolerate about half of it. And then I had to do the second half by myself downstairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, really quick, did you guys know that the director wrote his own epigraph for the movie at the beginning? That quote at the beginning? I was, I was no, I was, I was going to say I couldn't find anything from yeah. who that Francis Thrive person is. Well, I did a deep dive on this. So there's an epigraph that opens the film, much like The Uncanny. Um, yeah. So I figured epigraphs are kind of my, it's kind of my thing. So I, I spent some time. It's your zone. Yeah. Yeah. The actual sentence that opens the film is um, our madness engulfs everything and infects innocent victims such as children or animals. And you're like, that's weird. Cause it's not a great sentence. Like it's not particularly beautiful or <laughs> it's like a very practical sentence. It's declarative, but it's not, there's nothing about it that, and it's attributed to a person called Francis Thrive. 
which turns out, at least the internet thinks, is just a pseudonym for the director, ah. Franco Prosperi, because ah. um, prosperare is Italian for thrive. Huh. So he just wrote his own epigraph. Oh, this is great. This is great research. Wow. I guess I don't want to make it sound like this movie is too disturbing because, you know, as soon as you get these scenes of like rats being torched and and the tiger being drugged, like the next scenes are like elephants breaking through brick walls that and was, going and the, on an adventure. Cool. Those elephants. In the style of the Ele- Kool-Aid man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. And um, I, th- I feel like elephants can really act. I feel like those elephants were like, acting their trunks off they were yeah when the trunks came into the car <laughs> yeah like and the elephants just looked like oh by the way it's called a herd of elephants sometimes yes. lesser known it's sometimes called a parade of elephants that makes sense but, that makes sense um i got this sense whereas like you know we watch cats in movies and horses sometimes or you just you don't feel like they know the camera is there and these elephants i felt like they knew that they had a job to do and that they were doing it pretty well mm-hmm. i was well, really impressed every animal in this movie uh, either came from a circus or like a kind of african um you know safari style park so they probably did you know, they probably were pretty comfortable with humans. Although, you know, the stories of making this film, there's tons of stories of how the elephants actually did break out onto the runway uh, and shut down the airport. And a tiger, the tiger did get away in the subway at the end and yeah. shut down the Rome subway uh, during rush hour because, you know, so clearly they weren't taking proper care of, of, of these animals. Um, but yeah. Um, Simon, do you want to get back to the injured, not injured list? Oh, or, uh, can I yeah. say one thing? Because we're like we're kind of moving forward. So before we get too far into it, yeah, yeah. Um, the music at the beginning. I feel like I have a theory. If you take an animal movie and you start it with a song that has a saxophone solo, you pretty much guaranteed to have a good movie. The music is fantastic. Incredible score. All, all this guy's films had great scores. Uh, Goodbye, Uncle yeah. Tom, which is a film that I, I personally dislike intensely, but uh, it has its defenders. It's definitely a divisive one. Just depends on, I guess, how you uh, interpret its intentions. But objectively, it has a beautiful score. Um, I did want to say that at some point in this film, at around the point that the elephant breaks through the wall, a news announcer says that the amount of animals they're dealing with escaping from the zoo is 30 large cats and 10 elephants, which I thought was important because that really uh, clarifies the scale of the issue that this film is dealing with. Hmm. Um, 40 animals total, but they're problematic ones. And I kind of like that. Yeah. And then, of course, ultimately, uh, there's a polar bear that they forget to mention. And, <laughs> and that actually touches on, like the numbering of the animals touches on um, my favorite part of this film, which is my favorite part of all these terrible movies, which is that they are... Um, in terms of the way things are dramatized, they are so literal. And this is a movie where I would say 90% of the dialogue is pure exposition. Mm. Yeah. In almost every scene, a character will either say how they feel or say what they're doing until it sort of puts you in a trance Mm. and you, you like your brain stops working. Yeah. I mean, again, this is the only narrative, uh, explicitly narrative film this director made. And the lead actor who's playing Dr. Rip Burner 
um, whose name currently <laughs> escapes. Uh, but he he was we just a, call, let's call him RB. We'll go RB. I think Tony DeLeo. Tony DeLeo is the name of the actor who uh, uh, is credited on screen as John Aldrich because they were trying to make the film too, sound. Tony DeLeo. But he uh, he was an animal trainer. He was not an actor. They cast him in this role, which is why you see him like playing with the polar bear, and he's constantly getting bit by the animals and yeah. and swatting at them and stuff. Um, is Makes he's sense. an act, he is the, one of the actual main trainers? I wondered about that. Yeah. Um, and he uh, he in in an interview on the disc uh, talks about how he was uh, unhappy about how the rats and cats were treated in the movie, and uh, you know didn't didn't really go back to that sort of thing. I guess. We don't have a, we don't explicitly have a dead parent, but we do have the mother raising her uh, daughter without a father figure present. We don't really know why, but I'm going to say probably her dad's dead if we're basing this off like other animal movies we've seen. The dad is dead. And then in some ways, every single other character is the dog catcher. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, Um, the movie has its precocious child character, but she spends the movie mostly separate from the adults until like, I guess the very end. Were you guys um, bothered by, um, we were talking about the score. I loved the score, but I really struggled with, I don't know what you'd call this Simon, but like the sound design of the film, like there'd be an alarm that would go off, but then the alarm goes off for like six minutes or there'd be like a scream and the scream makes sense, but there'd be like a hundred screams after that. And there were like, they were so loud and intrusive. Mm. I, I struggled with that. Why is it dubbed? Because they're speaking English. This is this goes back to this thing um, with Italian movies. For most of for most of all of Italian cinema, were shot for the international market. So they'd be shot MOS. They'd be shot without sound, just like in Hong Kong uh, during most of ah. the, the Hong Kong. Mo- most kung fu movies were shot the same way, and it was just like how those kind of how cinema kind of evolved, but because, because, you know, in Hong Kong, it was, you'd have Mandarin and Cantonese and plus Hong Kong was a British province for a while, you know, so they were making them for an international market in their own way. So they would just shoot no sound and dub everything. Same in Italy, like all those spaghetti Westerns with Clint Eastwood, you know, all those were shot without sound. And then some of the actors would dub their own voices for the English versions and so on. So with a film like this, uh, and, and maybe this somewhat speaks to your question, Mike, you know, with an Italian production like this, they didn't record any production audio, I'm sure. Uh, all the all you're hearing is, you know, created in post. Um, it's all fully uh, and, and, you know, and okay. and the animal roars and so on. You know, it's all it's all post, uh, okay. you know, so that's why you're getting probably such canned sounding audio sometimes. So the thing that makes this movie awesome is all the car crashes and the animal attacks and all the cool mm-hmm scenes of animals in weird places but then it does kind of get despite how exciting it is it gets kind of boring and dull somewhere in the middle there just because i think because the characters are so flimsy and poorly acted and like there's just no nuance or uh depth to any of the characters at all no they're they're horrible yeah you hate them yeah they're, all, they're I basically very annoying agree with that I basically except agree maybe that. a little bit there's a little bit of a thing with the the woman and the mom where she's like, she seems like she hates her daughter and, and definitely the daughter has like abandonment issues with her mom and is like communicating through that weird it's a puppet. deeply anti-kid 
anti-child film. Yeah. Um, there's a moment in the subway when the, the subway scene first begins when the, where the mom is so annoyed that the daughter has chocolate, chocolate on her face. <laughs> and she's it's like, disgusting. apologizes to the whole subway car for her child's appearance. And then she was like, child, I call her a pest. Poor child's tired. What's your name? Yeah, Carol. But I call her pest. What was that? And you think that that scene is one of these beautiful, like um, meaningless, like vignettes that don't connect to theme or plot or anything. But in fact, like at the end, when it's revealed that all the ballet students also have drank the PCP water, you realize that like kids are the true villains of the film because they're the ones who are gonna live on. Like all the animals mostly die or the PCP wears off, but the kids are the worst, right? Well, the PCP right. so, like, will the wear off is a pest. on the kids. Right. But at least like in terms of the narrative of the film, by the end, the the one question that hangs most of all is what's going to happen to these kids who are all like trying to murder people and are on PCP. Uh, they get shot. They, the, the police shoot them all. Well, they that's your beautiful that. need to like resolve, but the film leaves it hanging. <laughs> right. In every right. way. Yeah. You can really break this movie down kind of into just like animal set pieces. There's like the mm -hmm. elephants break out. Then you've got the cheetah chase, uh, the polar bear in, you know, in the dance studio. And those are kind of, that's kind of really the three sections. And then the kids on PCP, of course, is our twist kind of like final fifth act. The, the elephants on the airplane runway is great because then they have the airplane crash and explode. And so yeah, it takes out the power for the entire city. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a, like a model airplane, right? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely miniatures, yeah. <laughs> but a uh, but big win for those elephants. Big win for the elephants. The elephants stamp on that girl's head and crush her her head. That was uh, good. I loved that scene. I thought that was, was one good. of the most effective, um, like gross out, yeah, uh, scenes in the film. I like uh, that you can tell that the effect doesn't totally work. Like the the elephant's foot goes down, and then it has to kind of raise up again a little just to I, let the blood out. The, wait, there's also the set piece of the the blind. <laughs> music composer seeing eye dog attacking oh, yeah <laughs> do you remember <laughs> the name of uh do you remember the name of the song that the blind i do wait i wrote it out? down hold on yes, i have it course. somewhere in here <laughs> ba, ba, ba. i would like hold to know on, the name of that song oh i have it are you ready yeah yes. uh nature weeps that's yep. correct <laughs> i'll come out and say that the cheetah scene is my scene the squealer just the way it unfolds is is so good you've got this woman driving around she's listening to a dj tell jokes he tells the joke uh why do people who have one yeah. leg live shorter lives? Yeah. Because they have one foot in the grave. I wrote uh, down, I don't get that joke. I don't I get that. that yeah. You I got, didn't get that. One foot in the grave means you're like halfway dead. Yeah, so if you've, but, if you, if you've had a leg amputated, that leg would be the, the other leg. Do they, if you amputate a leg, do they put it in a grave that's waiting for the rest of you? I mean, they put it in, Something I guess what, equivalent to a. Grave. What was the joke again? What, what say the joke one more time? It's like All you right, could have so, any joke. The movie sets it up so it could be any joke. It could be anything, and this is the joke. I mean, yeah. I bet I, I I feel like they came up with that on their own. But anyway, uh, so, so they're driving along, Doctor Ripburn, and they see this woman driving crazy, and then the detective says, uh, "Hey, look at that! She's not crazy. She's being chased by a cheetah." I'll try to get up beside her car. Try stopping that cheetah with that dart gun of yours. No, I can't hit it because it's going too fast. Then use my pistol, it's in the glove compartment. Hurry up, Rip, there it is. Shoot, it's close. Okay, okay, just a second. 
We're swaying too much. I'm afraid I might hit the woman. Yeah. Um, there's a great mortal <laughs> motorcycle stunt where the woman driving trying to escape mm. this cheetah in her car again, so she could just keep going and it, it would be fine. Uh, see, a guy on a motorcycle drives into another car. Incredible stunt. Looks like he gets really hurt. Uh, to which yeah. <laughs> they reply, "Poor guy, we've got to stop her." Oh, that poor guy. We've got to stop her. And then the woman finally crashes. Uh, her car explodes, and Doctor Ripburner says, "I'll take care of the girl. You get the animal." Um, and another incredible Ripburner line to say to a detective <laughs> when you are a zookeeper. Uh, and and then and then the cops then, just like the, the cops just like the leopard got away. Or it's a it's alternately called a leopard or a cheetah in this yeah. scene. Yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. No, nothing matters. Um, well, do you know the difference between a leopard and a cheetah, guys? One of them changes their spots, but the other one doesn't. I think yeah. uh, one, cheetahs, is, one is shorter than the other. Yeah, yeah. leopards are shorter. Uh, cheetahs are generally taller and skinnier. They've got uh, smaller spots, and notably, they do not roar. They kind of just chirp. Um, so because this because this, this animal was roaring, I'm going to say it's a leopard. The woman um, that's being chased by the cheetah leopard, um, her face gets really disfigured. Yes, when her car explodes, they they yeah. zoom in on her face and it's all burned up. And it's a gory I film. Wondered like, and yeah, it is very gory. And and the other guy, the guy she has the accident with, because she crashes into a car, they both explode. Both of their bodies are burned pretty badly, very quickly. That's, um, how, that's how fire works. Is it? I mean, it, it, I, it would it would burn pretty. I mean, they explode, uh, right. you know, and that leads directly into our polar bear. Uh, if we find out later, the polar bear's name is Pompeius. Um, and there are scenes in this sequence where you can tell that the actual child actors are on camera in the same shot with the polar bears with like no barrier between them, which, again, like is both the like wrong and fascinating thing about watching a film like this. Um, yeah, it's you, kind of great that there was a time when there was no political correctness or like it, you could get away with things like this and it just was okay. But it's also I'm glad that we can't do that anymore, but yeah, I also miss it a little bit. It certainly provides like an authentic degree of like spectacle being like, wow, that they're really doing that with an actual very dangerous animal. But it's also just like the kind of thing that, that you know, would, would be horrible if anything went wrong and, you know, etc. Obviously... Polar bears are animals that cannot be trained and that actually uh, prefer to eat humans. So that's like really dangerous. Uh, but that's also, you know, what makes the scene so kind of weird and intense. Oh, I forgot yeah. the entire, I forgot the entire stampede sequence too. Um, uh, yeah. It's a, oh yeah. It's like cattle, a, horse, cattle. a horse and bull stampede. <laughs> and they are in like a pinball arcade. <laughs> And yeah. that was in Johannesburg. Uh, that and the elephants at the airport, that was all South Africa. Oh, wow. um, and then most of the rest of the film uh, with the tiger on the train and everything was Rome. Did uh, you guys like me sing uh, Bulls on Parade by Rage and the Machine during that scene? <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't. I wish I did. It was great. <laughs> uh, and if you want to go back to my animal injured list, uh, yes. another section where they admit to injuring animals is the hyena versus the pig and the lion versus the cow. However, they yeah. say the animals were separated right after that scene was filmed and uh, the pig and the cow were not seriously injured. That was a moment when I was like, yeah. I don't think Simon's right about this. It's a very upsetting. I'm watching this hyena just, just bite pig. I've never actually seen Mondo Kane, AKA A Dog's Life, uh, a title <laughs> that would make you think it's appropriate for this 
podcast, but it's not. Wait, and is it really different. called? Wait, that's not a joke. Yeah, no, that's like that's the like English translation of like the Mondo Kane title is a dog's life. Um, <laughs> before we get into seeing squealers, uh, it's worth wrapping up Wild Beasts. The film was made for the U.S. market. That's why it was you know filmed to be dubbed in English with anglicized actor names. But the U.S. distributor that had worked with the director on his previous features had nothing to do with it. Uh, was disturbed by its content. Similarly, the film bombed when it came out in Italy. Uh, audiences were repulsed by it. Uh, it did allegedly well in Japan, uh, and the director never made uh, another film. Good. Yeah, Good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys yeah. know that, I mean, my stance has always been that animals should not appear in movies, and that I extend that all the way to humans as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. This movie is a really good example of, of well, that. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to, rem- I, I just remembered that the reason Susie doesn't drink PCP and attack her mother is because she wants a Coke instead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And when all the kids, and when all the kids go insane for water and there's that <laughs> crazy scene where they're all like really enjoying, like splashing water into their mouths. I, it's true. This movie hates children. Um, but it's it, true. That's what, she, when I saw that scene with this, I was like, Dude, that's exactly how kids are with like water or with anything. <laughs> they like, just get excited and go nuts. Like when they, they go nuts. Like yeah, if I let my kids, if if my kids were with a like a, they'd have to be in a group. So if my kids were with a group of other kids, and I was like, hey kids, go get some water, guaranteed, it would be like that type of scene. They would all just start going crazy and freaking out and like splashing the water and drinking it and and all that. Yeah, that was very realistic. Actually, I felt like. <laughs> Oh, I forgot another good Dr. Uh, Rip Berman line. I liked it when he said, I'm a realist, Laura, not a practicing theorist. Yes, that's really uh, good. Because that's about like when she goes to the weird natural history museum place. Uh, oh, right. When she's... And he's yeah. like, I'm not in it for that. Like, I only, I want to deal with the actual actual animals. Like, I don't care about the scholarship. Um, yes, who exactly. Is the, the, he talks about Darwin and Lamarck. Who is Lamarck? Yeah. I wonder that too. I don't. No, I didn't do that research. Not, didn't do not, that. No one did that research. Us. No, not for us. Um, I have two two good lines before we forget. One is um, when the exterminator is holding the um, the the fire onto the rats. Um, I think it's Rip Burner. He says, uh, "Yeah, that's the way." <laughs> yeah, that's that that is a Rip Burner line. I marked that down as well. <laughs> I liked that a lot. And then there's another one when the elephants first come through the wall. Um, somebody might be Rip Burner again. Says, uh, "What the hell is that? Elephants." <laughs> no, uh, that. Followed by crashing into a liquor store. That's not Rip yes. Burner. That's the yes. driver of a car who says, "What the yes. hell is that? Elephants!" Then crashes into a liquor store, <laughs> which is the second best car crash into a store because, of course, the f- number one car crash into a store is when the Mercedes Benz crashes into a chandelier shop, a lamp shop. <laughs> yeah, <That's> incredible. <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> And uh, it's in slow motion and the lighting is, I thought like the lighting was really great in all those sequences. It fucking better be if you're crashing into a <laughs> chandelier store. Uh, I have one other line and, and this might be my, my scene squealer. It's a moment, you know, kind of about 30 minutes into the film when, when things are turning, you know, the animals are trying to act a little scary. The elephants have kind of broken out and Dr. Rip Burner's at the zoo and he walks up to a lion cage and the lion kind of goes like, and like turns away and he goes, Shumba. As if his feelings are hurt. And that's oh, how the movie's right. telling us that like things it's are getting a, scary. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a subtle moment. Um I, I like only it. only a connoisseur would appreciate. 
It's a very um, good reading of Shumba. You're not going to talk about the line where the the daughter says on the phone, "I'm coming, you ball buster." I'm coming, you ball buster. She's really independent. She's like ten years old. She's very independent for her age. They abandon her for the entire film <laughs> when this when the electricity is out and like the city is being attacked by animals. There's like explicitly moments where she's like, her class ends in thirty minutes. I should go get her. <laughs> and then and then the movie just like continues. And it's actually Dr. Rip Berman who at the end of the movie says like we should go get Susie. And they finally go get to get Susie, uh, only to discover that her teacher's been murdered, but everything's basically fine. And then there's a news scroll that says like this could happen anywhere. Uh, Lamarck, he's best known for his theory of inheritance of acquired characteristics, which was presented in 1801. Right now is Darwin's first book dealing with natural selection wasn't published till 1859. Hmm. So he's, he's, you know, a theory of evolution based on the principle that physical changes on the physical changes in organisms during their lifetime. So he was kind of like, I guess, uh, before Darwin and, and kind of on onto the same idea, but not as well known. We, we learned so much. I mean, you could go years and you wouldn't hear about that guy. It's <laughs> true. Do we have any uh, kind of final thoughts on the film before we move into our extra cricket critters? I've got a scene squealer. Um, the Situation Room... Um, Usually, like in a better movie, they would show you building the situation room. So you'd have some sense of what was going on. But in this movie, you just dropped right into this like totally chaotic um, 1000 telephone glass chalkboard situation. And I, I loved it. One of the plot elements where is that like there's these newfangled uh, cage locks that are like digital. Yeah. And 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 one of the older zookeepers is like, I don't like these dials and buttons and like... <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, they're in like they have their weird zoo, zoo like bridge uh, where like, you know, all the controls are and he's always complaining. And yeah, they're designed, we discover, to just instantly release the animals if the power goes out. So he had a he had legitimate grievances there. I, I love how the zoo uh, rip burner is like seems like uh, he's like so well respected. He's just like a zoo. He's like a zookeeper, but he's yeah. but he's a doctor. He's treated like with such respect and awe like that he's like a like a celebrity he's like a celebrity zookeeper something he's that handsome, we don't right he's a handsome guy he has oh, a mustache course. i mean yeah um but, mike i did want to say that your scene squealer is somewhat a microcosm for like what is good about this film and we maybe kind of have clarified this a bit already but like i don't know where he found that room with all those phones but i know they didn't create that for this movie like somewhere uh, they found that and they got that footage and like a lot of this, a lot of the shots in this movie are handheld, you know, they did film it in Africa as well as Europe. Like it, you do get these crazy, you do get crazy moments of low budget scope. Um, Cause I, you feel like this director just knew a place uh, and was allowed to shoot there for like five minutes. And so, you know, so, so yeah, you'll get crazy shots like that where the film just drops you into a place, but you see something pretty remarkable, which is like a thousand yeah. phones. And that's a yeah, really good definition of what you want out of a film is you want to see things right. you couldn't see otherwise. Yeah. That's although true. ideally like not like a rat being set on fire by a flamethrower. My scene squealer was um, when the blind musician gets attacked by his German shepherd 
<laughs> and I just, I love, they do this again towards the end of the movie. I forget who gets attacked. Uh, maybe one of the ballet teachers, but when the attack is happening, it's, they pull, you pull out the growling, you pull out the screaming, you pull out those sounds of things being ripped and you just hear like kind of like melancholic music being. So it's like that juxtaposition of like extreme violence with a very like soothing type of uh, musical piece underneath it. And that worked really well. I felt in particularly in that scene with the blind, which I guess that's why the blind, uh, like everyone in this movie, that's why the blind music composers there just because he's going to get killed later. There's no other reason why he's there. Huh? Yeah. Just that you'd be like upset by a scene where a blind man gets killed by his seeing eye dog, which had already been done kind of in Suspiria. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think Suspiria, but, um, but yeah, uh, it's a good scene. I agree. But yeah, I really love that, that, that filmmaking technique. Uh, I would give this film three horse head halves out of six. So one and a half horse heads. Three out of six. Wait, say that again, Simon. One and a half. I'm giving this movie one and a half horse heads. One and one half horse heads. Okay. All right, Mikkel. I, as much as I love this movie and I would want to give it like 100 burning rats out of 100 burning rats. Okay. I'm actually okay. going to give it zero burning rats out of 100 burning rats. Wow. Zero out of 100. All right. That's Mikel. Zero out of 100. Okay. I thought this was a, it's like a straightforward, simple film. So it needs a straightforward, simple kind of tally rating situation. So I'm going to say it's, for me, it's, it's binary thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm saying one out of one, two B's. Okay. <laughs> so as far as I can tell, that's what we have is two and a half out of well, Simon out of 102 out of and a half. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, a, really, that's a low a, rating. It's a really low score. <laughs> no, but one and a half out of what, what was your first score, Simon? Well, I was giving it three horse head halves out of six. Okay. <sighs> yeah. So it's one and a half out of three. Yeah. Was your score. Yeah. And Mikkel said zero out of a hundred. And I said one out of one. Yeah. So, you know, you're doing, yeah. So you did the math correctly. So well, th that's not a winner. Either way you add it up. It's 104, Wait. I think. Wait, it's, Mike, give Mike a I second. We have, I'm on the back of the napkin here. I, I think what we have is uh, two and a half out of 104. <laughs> sure. What's the percentage? What's that percentage? Hold on, let me look it up. All right, Just well, for, like, for Rotten, because it's helpful for Rotten Tomatoes if you report it directly. I, th I think um, we can say it's rotten. Two and a oh. half. 2.5 as you do that math i'll say i, I did look up pcp a little bit to learn about it mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Good. Yeah. some of the Angel symptoms the are the sherm stick yeah the sherm stick uh popular in the 80s 70s not really popular anymore but um Don't know now, why. now well because now now they're into um what's it called uh uh ketamine ketamine's kind of yeah, taken over uh, you can get that from your therapist that's that's yeah i have some in my pocket right now <laughs> yeah. um but the symptoms of pcp are characterized by the mnemonic device red danes which i'd never heard of which stands for rage earth wow. irethema which means redness of the skin so that's the e 
D stands for dilated pupils. Mm -hmm. The next D stands for delusions. Okay. A stands for amnesia. The N stands for nystagmus, which is the oscillation of the eyeball when moving laterally. Mm. Weird. The, the E stands for excitation. And the S stands for skin dryness. Red, Red Danes. Red Danes. <laughs> There's a lot of variation in how those letters get used. I, Honestly, I know, not that easy I, to remember. I know, yeah. I know, I know. That's what's kind of Red weird about Danes. It. And even it's not even that red is it two D like it's hard. Red Danes, it might sound like it's one D. It's red space Danes, because you have dilated pupils, space delusions. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't well, know. This episode will probably go up uh, early 2022, but we did do a Cinema Animals Nights field trip uh, right before Christmas. Uh, oh, Mikhail yeah. and I went to go see an archival 35 millimeter print that had never been screened before of The Great Rupert. Yeah, Amazing. we were probably the <laughs> ten, one of we were two of ten people <laughs> probably to wow. see that movie at its premiere U.S. screening. What yep. were the other eight people like? They were older for the most yeah. part. And I got the impression that a few of them were like American Cinematheque volunteers who were just kind of curious okay. uh, yeah. what this was. <laughs> um, you, know, was having, yeah. you know, having seen it on the big screen, we can say definitively that um, the main girl, the main love interest uh, is definitely not um, handicapped. She's just oh. wearing bad shoes and carrying around yeah. a stool for most of the film. Um, but she definitely that that was a that was a point of confusion right. when we watched the earlier public domain uh, streams of that yeah, movie. Yeah. And and I Did would say it, like it's a Christmas classic. I, I enjoyed it more on the second viewing. It was great. It was a great movie. On the, yeah, we were really surprised how it really held up. The the folks that we saw it with loved liked it. it. Yeah, loved loved, loved, loved it. it really. Loved it. Yeah. Did people yeah. were people like shouting out stuff at the screen? <laughs> no, but people were laughing uh, with and at the film. I wished I'd invited more people. Honestly, it's a funny uh, movie. You know, it's definitely a funny movie. I heard one of the other people that wasn't with us at the end say, "What did she say?" She's like, "I have to admit, I was truly engaged for the entire <laughs> film." Or <laughs> something. Like some yeah. nice compliment. Um, uh, and the the. Yeah, I mean, that's accurate. <laughs> that's that's kind of how you feel. I mean, look, it's a cheap movie. I mean, we discovered watching the 35 minute print that like there are certain shots in the film where you can tell they're punching in. Like like they filmed a two shot and they're punch they're pushing into close-ups and you can tell the, the shot gets a lot grainier. I thought that was uh, unique to the video version. No, I guess that's the way it was in theaters. So, I mean, it's definitely a cheap movie, uh, but the squirrel holds up and uh, yeah, great, mm -hmm. great theatrical experience at uh, The Los Feliz 3. Uh, Did for, you guys feel protective of it? Like, were you worried people were going to make fun of it openly and then you'd have to defend it? <laughs> Honestly, a little bit. I was a little like, yeah. if this becomes like a cult sensation, you know, we uh, kind of feels like we were on the ground floor with this one. But uh, yeah. that's not the case. Uh, we're still on the ground floor with it. <laughs> so, you know, great Rupert, hopefully, hopefully uh, coming out on like a Criterion 4K disc eventually. Um, that was one I, of my extracurricular, extracurricular critters. I have two more. I have one that... I'll jump in because it's holiday related also, which I mentioned to you and maybe you've heard of it, but on Hulu, I think uh, there is a show called puppies destroy Christmas. And it's just a, like a scene. It's a setup room of Christmas decorations. And then they have like four or five puppies in the room 
and they just like slowly destroy the room. And that's, that is the show. Oh, wow. Um, but it's like, there's no um, like narrative, no. Uh, no artifice. It's just a camera on puppies. A camera on puppies and they're just like start ripping open the present, start tearing the tree down, start anything. Yeah. I guess that's like, that's what for us, that's what we'd consider pornography. <laughs> well, that's because yeah. you don't have, you don't have a puppy. Uh, you know, I have a dog and like, I, yeah, I, I, I have no interest in that. Like I could see her rip mm. up stuff all the time, unfortunately, including right. like my records. And the truth is my review of that show is it sounded a lot better than it was. It could have been, they kind of made it a little too wholesome and cute. The music, they just use like traditional Christmas music. I feel like if they tried to be a bit more uh, creative or, or subversive, it would have been a lot more fun, but instead it actually turned out to be kind of a boring show. If they'd used kind of profane, like early 1990s Florida <laughs> hip hop. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I saw two other films. Uh, I saw the, Christmas or holiday kind of classic uh, Canadian film, The Dog Who Stopped the War, about a kid's snowball fight that escalates until, uh, until eventually a dog has to stop it. Kind of sad film. The Dog's a St. Bernard. I don't want to spoil anything, but I uh, had mixed feelings about that one uh, from the same creative team that brought you The Peanut Butter Solution. So kind of weird, traumatic Canadian oh. kids entertainment. Um, also probably a tax shelter production, uh, but French Canadian. I saw the French version. And then I saw Clifford, Clifford, the Big Red Dog, oh. the 2021 production of Clifford, the Big Red Dog. Oh, yeah. You wanted to talk about something in that movie. Well, I had a scene squealer for it. Uh, that was it. I was watching it oh. and, and the movie ended and I said, well, there was that one moment. And the one moment is when the girl uh, has Clifford on the bed, when Clifford's still kind of just a large puppy and she's trying to name Clifford. It's one of those montages where she's like asking the dog uh, what name he wants. And I was like, Whoa. And, and they're going through names and she goes, uh, how about Isaiah? It's from the Bible. And Clifford goes, rawr, rawr. <laughs> and, and I thought that was, uh, I thought that was great. Uh, when it, Clifford makes it clear that, that Clifford does not believe in the Bible. Huh. Uh, I think that was cut out of my version of well, Clifford. <laughs> if you watch it on Paramount plus you get that, you get the uncut version. So, uh, so yeah. And then, uh, and then I did want to do a, a fact check from last week. Uh, oh, wow. We yeah. haven't had a fact check in a while. Well, You'll remember correctness in general. Yeah, well, yeah, it is episode three and uh, we're starting to make mistakes. Uh, or more specifically, the two of you are starting to make mistakes because it turns yes. out I was correct. There yes. is There was a powdered drink during the 80s called Burple that was mostly <laughs> marketed in the Midwest. Uh, it, the, the bottles were shaped kind of like an accordion. They were filled with powder. You would expand them, fill them up with water, shake them, and then you had a kind of Kool-Aid-like drink. Um, but this was not sold uh, outside of the Midwest, which is why I knew about it, and the two of you did, did not. not. The moment when you did that research is the saddest moment I've ever thought of in my whole life. <laughs> I did it with Mikhail. He did it. He did it in episode, front of me, so. actually. He yeah, did well, it. Oh, that makes it less sad. Yeah, yeah less I, sad. I, I managed to. I managed to get that one uh, across. I was without... picturing you like fuming, red faced, <laughs> just like pounding the keyboard in your, in your apartment. <laughs> no, that's just every other time I'm on the internet. That's really funny. If Simon had research. Searched Burple on his own, it would have been really depressing. But since he but did if it it's with his friend, then it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I have one one last thing written down in my notes for this episode, uh, but I don't remember uh, what it is or why. But it's worth saying out loud, just in case one of you guys does. 
Uh, I wrote down monkey that killed puppies. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, Michele. That was that, that was a yeah. a current oh. event news story. Yeah, breaking news, I guess. Breaking news about a a town in I think like India. Mm-hmm. I think where a monkey killed like a hundred puppies. Might have been Italy. No, I think it was <laughs> I think it was India. <laughs> but yeah, these like they believe that they can't prove this, right? They can't prove that the monkeys were seeking revenge, but they believe that one of the dogs killed one of the monkeys uh, progeny. And then the monkeys would seek revenge by they killed all the puppies in, in the entire village. And they would take the dogs up to like the top of buildings and just drop them off. Uh, and it was like a very uh, focused attack. Um, and it was very uh, quanti- like high numbers. Like they, they, it wasn't just one or two. And then they actually caught the monkeys that did it. They caught the two monkeys that are responsible for killing all these puppies. And I think they like exiled them. They like brought them to like some other jungle, like, you know, 500 miles away and just dropped them off there. It was like, don't kill puppies anymore. And that's a true story. <laughs> yeah. Don't fuck life. with monkeys. I mean, yeah. How do you punish a monkey? Did you drive it to a different jungle and just drop it off? They're going to find those monkeys are going to, get up to other shenanigans i mean if they have that like revenge gene in their brain yeah yeah well so, i mean it'll probably sort of like the other monkeys in that jungle if these two monkeys are, are really out of control and and like dropping squirrels from trees and stuff they'll probably it'll sort itself out that's probably what they were thinking is is the other monkeys will figure this out um now if you have we talked about this before but if you were if you were a, uh, a person that studied animals and you were studying it <laughs> and you're studying a tribe of uh, monkeys in the jungle and you noticed that one of the monkeys had like two million bananas stored in his home and all the other monkeys each only had one banana what would you think about that society are you fucking talking about me? Because I like, yes, I have a, a lot of bananas. And yes, I don't like to share them with either of you. But like, what are you? Is this a metaphor? I'm not doing this on the air with you guys again. I'm not doing this on the air again. Cinema animals, cinema animals, cinema animals.